Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I would like to take this opportunity to thank the dinner committee for having asked me to speak on this occasion, the 15th anniversary of the Brooklyn Group. I know that I expressed the sentiments of the people in this room tonight when I say that the untiring efforts of the members of the Brooklyn Group, the sincerity of purpose in carrying the message to other people has really been an inspiration to the many other groups located throughout the metropolitan area. It is always an honor and a privilege to speak at an AA meeting. If for no other reason it affords me the opportunity to stand up and say that my name is Roy Seberg and I am an alcoholic. In making that statement, it represents a picture of what life was some years ago. Made up of hatred and revenge, waiting around in self-pity, full of resentments and petty jealousies. And in the center of all this sat the king himself, bottle of whiskey, always willing and always able to completely take charge. Looking over the record of AA success, we realize so many people are introduced to AA for the first time, and almost immediately a change begins to take place. They find themselves becoming honest. They begin to lose these mental reservations and fixed ideas that they could always go around doing what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. Slowly but surely, a faith is restored to them. A faith in the belief that there exists a power greater than themselves. They have found new friends people who are willing to share with them their strength, hope, and experience that they may become a better person, and most important of all, that they once again learn to live with themselves. As they continue to attend these meetings, an inner feeling of release takes place. A release from this disease of alcoholism which has so completely encircled their lives. Weeks have turned into months and to their amazement they are no longer drinking. They have begun to enjoy life. They are at last at peace with themselves. Once, once again, they have been welcomed back into the society of 
human decency. With humbleness, they turn their face towards heaven and say, thank you, God. Thank you for the many blessings that have been bestowed upon us. With patience and humility, they have found a new way of life. What a glorious feeling. What a cherished experience this must have been for the new man or woman coming into AA for the first time. I'm sure I wouldn't know. It never happened to me when I came in many years ago. I came from a family of don't do this and don't do that. They were very strict. As I grew into manhood in my late teens, I resented it. I found courage and fortitude in taking a drink. And down through the speakeasy days of the 20s and into the depressive 30s, nothing happened. It was the thing to do to attend these parties on Saturday nights and drink, get tight occasionally. In the late 30s, the tempo increased. I found my drinking becoming heavier and more frequent. I was introduced to the morning drink. When the prosperity of the 40s arrived, the parties became bigger. The drinking was out of control. And in the middle 40s, why things began to happen. I no longer found myself a joyous and merry type of person. I was a repulsive and disgusting type of drinker. I was no longer able to cope with situations and the problems of daily living. I found myself constantly running away. I was making one mistake, however. I was taking myself with me wherever I went. People no longer invited me to their homes. I found myself looking over my shoulder, ducking in and out of alleys, crossing the street to avoid people. It seems I was always sitting at a bar, wondering what was taking place, wondering what was happening to me. I was always taking an inventory of myself. I was trying to make a decision, and it was being done in an alcoholic daze. I was always trying to make amends for things that I had done. And then I would call to the bartender in that sweet and mellow voice of mine that could be heard on the next corner. 
What did you do with the bottle? For God's sake, serve me another drink and make it a double. I didn't realize then that the difference between the person that I wanted to be and the person that I found myself being was that drink of whiskey in front of me. I kept insisting upon having my own way. I kept insisting upon violating all my sense of decency. There was one thing that I had left out, the price that I would have to pay in the next five or six years. The price was terrific. In early 49, January, my first crude awakening came when I found myself at a bar eight o'clock in the morning after I had been drinking very heavily for several days and nights. I went to a telephone and I called a friend of mine who had stopped drinking for some time and he came to the place where I was and took me home put me to bed I don't know whether it was that night or the night after when he arrived with three other men. One of them was a broker. One other man and my friend were affiliated with large companies in the field of selling. The fourth man was connected with a prominent manufacturer of shoes. From him I received my first lesson in personal honesty. Here was a clean-shaven man whose eyes sparkled, immaculately dressed, telling me he had been a bum, telling me he had been in and out of hospitals so many times he had completely lost track. He had fell through a plate glass show window and landed on the sidewalk in the middle of one of the prominent avenues in New York. The two salesmen left a message of hope that in AA I would find the answers. I would learn to solve my problems with love and understanding instead of going around with clenched fists, yelling and screaming at people. And the broker left a message of faith. He had torn everything apart, but in AA he had come to believe. These people would help him. And if they couldn't help him, they surely wouldn't hurt him.
This was the message that these four men left with me. What a pity it didn't penetrate this fogged up brain of mine. What heartaches I would have saved myself. I kept attending meetings. I was unable to completely surrender to this program. I stayed sober on sheer self-discipline. The most unhappy person you could possibly meet. I was unable to turn my will and my life over to a power greater than myself. I was so deeply engrossed in my own ego, I was always asking myself what this higher power could possibly do for me. There were people on the outside that were directing me. I was listening to them. I continued to listen to them. And then it happened. I took that first drink and the beautiful picture of life that had started at childhood, that had started to crumple and fall apart in the middle 40s, completely disintegrated. There was nothing left. But these four men that had visited me five years before had left a message. They had left a seed of AA planted there, and it took root one October morning when I crawled on my hands and knees to a telephone. It took root in the form of a decision, a decision that was simply based on the fact that there was no one or nothing that was more important to me than my alcoholic problem. I realize now that I have made many, many decisions in the past. Some of them were of tremendous importance. They not only involved my own general welfare, but the welfare of many, many people around me. They were microscopic in size. They couldn't even be measured in value in comparison with the decision when I simply picked up that phone and said, this is it. This is as far as I want to go. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. For a brief moment, there was a feeling of release. It was though a veil had been lifted from in front of my eyes. It was though I was reaching over and turning off a faucet, not of water, but of life's blood that was flowing out of me. These two men came to help me. One of them was the same salesman that had given me a message of hope almost six years ago. They helped me into the Knickerbocker Hospital where I met our honored guest here tonight. where I stayed for a period of time to begin to clear up this confused mind of mine. Then the coming out of Knickerbocker Hospital and back with the people where I belong. People I realize had my interest at heart. 
people who had been pleading with me to stop crucifying myself. People who got up on at these meetings night after night simply channeled out these thoughts and ideas to me that might help me to reformulate and set up a new set of values, begin to fit the pieces of the crossword puzzle of my life together so it would represent a picture that I would like. These same people who had helped restore a faith to me, faith in a power greater than myself, they told me it made no difference what I choose to call it. I could call it God if I wanted to. I could put another O in the word God and call it a power of good. The important thing was that it inspired me to continue to take the stand that I had taken. That it continued to help me to take some of the confusion out of my life. That it continued to help me to solve my problems with love and understanding instead of hatred and revenge. Those were the important things that they kept telling me. As these people spoke at these meetings, they pointed to the 12 steps, a way back, back to peace of mind and serenity, the joy of living. And behind every word that they said at these meetings, there were three things that stood out, three little words that stood out. Just don't drink. Believe in it. Don't tear it apart. Don't analyze it. Just believe in it. In closing, ladies and gentlemen, I'd testing one, two, three. This thing who may seek this program. These people in here in this program gave me a second chance. They also gave me a choice. I can stay here and enjoy friendship and peace of mind and happiness that I've found. Or I can go back to the fears and frustrations of yesterday. Thank you. being told by 
Natalie and Jim, I couldn't help but feel a deep sense of pride in being given the privilege of being a member of this organization of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the likes of groups such as this who in their own unselfish and untiring way have carried the message, which has been a tremendous help not only to me but to many others. I know that I express the sentiments of both Natalie and Jim when I say that as we speak here tonight, it is only with the hope that perhaps some thought or idea may be expressed which will send someone away from here tonight, perhaps making a simple statement that if these good people here cannot can do it, maybe by the grace of God and their help I too can find the answers. For just like tonight, there are many groups meeting throughout the world, many tens of thousands of people gathering, sharing their strength and their hope and their experience with one another in one of the greatest movements that has come over the hill since Christianity came down the pike. Uh, my name is Roy Seberg, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm an alcoholic. And I, too, came into AA one night uh, full of fears. I had spent many years trying to change the things that I couldn't change, blackening out my frustrations with alcohol, living on my emotions instead of using the brain that God had given to me. I had absolutely no idea that the difference between the things that I was doing and the things that I wanted to do, the difference between the person that I found myself and the person that I wanted to be was a drink of whiskey. I didn't realize that as I continued to violate my sense of decency, as I continued to break all the rules and laws that were made by God and man, that if a thousand people could have been gathered together, and they only had one purpose in life, and that was to cause all the confusion and frustration that they possibly could to me. But they couldn't begin to do the job on me that I was doing on myself. And I had to come in here to find out that the difference was simply the fact that what you and I couldn't do alone 
together we could find the answers. In here I found people who had been able to embrace the spiritual concepts of this program. They had been able to turn outside of themselves to a power greater than themselves, greater than that bottle of whiskey. They had come in here seeking a contented life, and they had found it. Now they were experiencing the inner joy of living. And they were doing it one day at a time without alcohol. And it was then that I realized that these people had found something else besides sobriety. Now they were able to look beyond their own miserable selves and come up with a workable faith. And from this they could formulate and set up a new scale of values. They were able to look beyond their own troubles and resentments. They had at last won their battle over meanness. Instead of that loud shouting of self-acclaim, now they sat humble with a deep feeling of humility. You could almost hear them say, thank you for the many blessings that I have received. For now it was a day-to-day -day life of getting along with other people and treating them with kindness and courtesy and respect, learning to understand instead of always seeking to be understood. For in here they had learned to substitute the things that had kept them in the treadmill of bitterness and despair for the things that they heard at these meetings. The things they were able to learn through these twelve steps. Now they had the will to surrender their character faults. Now they were able to solve their problems of daily living with little love and understanding. Instead of going around with clenched fists full of hatred and revenge in their hearts. For this program had been conceived out of bitterness and despair. One Sunday many years ago across a kitchen table in a little brown stone house on Clinton Street, when Bill, looking through his bloodshot shot eyes at Ebby, wondered what in God's name this man had found that had literally pulled him up out of the depths of the gutter into the sunshine and light of decency. And Bill went out to find it, but he got thirsty on the way, and he landed 
in the hospital for the last time. How this program was born at a later date in Akron, Ohio, when two virtually hopeless alcoholics combined from their own bitter experiences a program which in its very simplicity still continues to mystify the outside world. They simply took the remorse of yesterday and they combined it with the fears of tomorrow. And from it they distilled one 24-hour period and they called it faith for today. And they believed in it, ladies and gentlemen. They didn't try to tear it apart. They believed in it. And down through the years, this program has been marked with success. Fifty percent of the people, men and women, coming in here for the first time have seen a miracle take place. They have begun to lose these fixed ideas and mental reservations that they could always go around doing what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. They find themselves being welcomed back into the society of human decency. Now when they walk along the street they can say good morning to their neighbors. And their neighbors are bewildered to see how well they look. They are no longer looking over their shoulder at the local tavern as they pass by. They have lost these fears. They have taken 90% of the confusion out of their lives when they simply put the cork in the bottle. They stopped making trouble for themselves and everybody else around them. What a wonderful thing for the new man or woman coming in here. What a cherished thought that could be carried down through the years. But then there is the other 40 or 50 percent. We didn't have it so easy. That's where I fell, into that category. Oh, I was a tough nut to crack. I had all the arrogance and self-pity that marks an alcoholic. I can go back, perhaps, to the Prohibition area. when it was quite the thing to carry a hip flask in our rear pockets. Martinis at that time, if I remember, were made with six parts gin and the shadow of the vermouth bottle was allowed to pass over it. Bathtub gin was quite the rage. We used to all gather and pour the grain alcohol into the bathtub, mix it with distilled water. If we didn't have distilled water, we took it from the tap. And we put a little juice from the juniper berry in there to kill the taste of the raw alcohol. 
than we allowed the thing to stand and age for about six minutes until we could find the jug poured into. poem, ladies and gentlemen, which I would like to take a few minutes of your time to recite. I always felt that this poem is the real meaning of AA, as far as I'm concerned. It's called My Preference, and I think a lot of you have heard it, but there may be a few that haven't. And it goes something like this. I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I'd rather one would walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear find counselors confusing, but examples always clear. The best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it, if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. The lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my le lessons by observing what you do. I may not understand the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. When I see a deed of kindness, I am eager to be kind. When a weaker brother stumbles and a strong man stays behind just to see if he can help him, then the wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friend to be. All travelers can witness that the best of guides today is not the one who tells them, but the one who shows the way. One good man teaches many, men believe what they behold. One deed of kindness notice is worth forty that are told. Who stands with men of honor learns to hold the honor dear, for right living speaks a language which to everyone is clear. Though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say, I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day.